From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9 High FM, Kate Turkington here, travels with Kate, and of course we're going traveling as we always do. And please send me an email at kate at high.co.za, and I always remind you, high, for those of you who aren't Jewish, is spelled C-H-A-I, it's the word, Jewish word for love, for life, high. FM. So my email address is kate at high.co.day. And all the places I talk about, as I said to you last week, I have been to personally. I'm not just reading from some guidebook or whatever. Been there, done that. There are a couple of places in the world, well, more than a couple, I haven't yet been to, but I will get there certainly one day before I fall off my perch. And by the way, I got so many lovely comments about the interview with Ian McCallum last week when he was talking about keystone species. Those of you who weren't listening, what Ian said, great conservationist, a poet, a doctor, a psychiatrist, an all-round wonderful human being, he said, he asked me the question, did I think humans were a keystone species? Before he asked that question, he, he put it this way. He said, there are keystone species in the world. For example, a spider. If a spider goes, we all go eventually. An elephant is a keystone uh, species. And then he said to me, do you think humans are a keystone species? And of course, the answer is no, we're not. If we vanish from the world in, what, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we'd be back to Jurassic Park. I don't know if, I'm sure many of you have been to Angkor Wat in Cambodia. There, the ancient 3,000-plus-year-old temples, some of them... They've just let nature take its course. And you've got these twisting, winding roots among these old, old buildings. So a keystone species. And he suggested that we all tried to be a keystone person because the world's a big place and it's hard to think we're going to make a difference. But just by turning the water off when we're brushing our teeth or picking up a piece of litter or not using a plastic bag, we can make a difference. I only bring this up because we got such a wonderful response to his remarks and his book, uh, Living in Two Worlds, is available in all good book bookshops now. He wrote it with Ian Mickler, also a fellow conservationist, also what I didn't tell you, both ex-Springbok rugby players. I'm going to 
talk to you now, just just before we go to the break. I want you to think about drinks you've drunk when you've been travelling, things that you've tasted or something, some liquid maybe you've done for the first time that you have never done before. Because I want to tell you about some of the things I've tasted on my travels. And then I want to tell you some of the comments I got on Facebook when I asked on my Facebook um, page, what's the worst drink you've ever had? We'll be back in just a moment. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here. 101.9, 101.9, Hi FM, I'm Kate Turkington. I'm asking you about drinks, stuff that you've put down your throat at some time or another while you've been traveling. Because think about it, ever since prehistoric humans tottered out of these caves at Sturtfontein and got ourselves to the moon, I mean, we have always been able to brew stuff. We've brewed berries, we've brewed plants, whatever it is, into alcohol. I think we've come a long way today from a 2,000-year-old or 20,000-year-old or 200,000-year-old Jackalbury Merlot. But I've been thinking of some of the drinks I've had as I've travelled the world. My late husband used to say, um, I have no imagination because I'm not afraid of anything, which is quite a scary thought, actually. But thinking back to some of the stuff I've had, and in the weeks to come, I'm going to be talking to you about Cuba because I've been there twice, and it is the most fascinating destination. It probably has the worst food in the world, but it does produce some of the best drinks. Why do I say the worst food in the world? Remember, you're living in a communist regime where everything has to be exactly the same. So you go into a restaurant, it's a bit like a wimpy, they've got pictures on the walls, and it's chicken, fish, or pork, that's all you can have with cabbage, and it all tastes exactly the same. But they made up for it. They made up for their lack of creativity on the food side with their drinks. So think coconuts, think squeezed limes, strawberries, sprigs of mint, and light rum. Rum is the drink of Cuba. And they whip them up into pina coladas, taqueries, mojitos, all other kinds of delicious rum uh, cocktails that make you instantly forget the uh, food. 
One has to be a bit careful, though. I was in Ecuador a few years ago, and to sort of show my support with the locals, I downed a very large tankard of the local chicha beer that is made from corn. Apparently, I don't know if this is true, apparently I was escorted back to my hotel where I woke up the next morning with the worst hangover uh, I'd ever had. In Greece, ouzo. I hate ouzo. To me, it tastes like toothbrush water um, or cough medicine. In Russia, and alas, it's so sad we can't travel to Russia. Now it's going to be so difficult to travel. But in Russia, you drink a thumb of vodka. You ask for a thumb of vodka. You don't ask for a tot or a shot. You ask for a thumb of vodka. And the first time I went to Russia, which is many moons ago, I remember the only places that were totally guarded with security guards and barbed wire all over the walls were the vodka shops, the vodka shops, vodka. And there are hundreds of different kinds of uh, vodka. When I lived in Ireland, of course, Guinness is the local tipple. And the only way I think you can drink Guinness is to mix it with champagne and it's called black velvet. Then it is uh, drinkable. But when and if you go to Dublin, of course you have to visit the Guinness Brewery because even if you don't drink alcohol of any kind, it's such an amazing experience uh, to go there and to go to the breweries, to go to the distilleries like Jamison and Bushmills, amazing experiences. And of course in Ireland they have Pochin. It's spelt P-O-T-E-E-N, Pochin. But in Ireland it's pronounced Pochin. And think that's the local Irish equivalent of Mumpur and has more or less the uh, same effects. I mean, after you've had a drink of Mampo, you'd accept anything, even another production of River Dance, and that's uh, saying something. But the first prize, and I'm going to tell you, because somebody asked, after I put the question on Facebook, Deb said exactly the same thing. The first prize for sheer awfulness for me is Tibetan yak butter tea. Last time I was in Tibet, I was entertained, if that's the right word, in Tibet's oldest monastery, an amazing place, by some charming, gentle Buddhist monks who asked if I would like some tea. Oh, yes, a cuppa, I thought. Well, now think about this. Imagine a thick, yellow, viscous liquid with globules of fat floating all over the surface and smelling very strongly of a large hairy animal. That's yak butter tea. I choked it down because I, I had to be polite, but I don't think it contributed at all to my spiritual uh, enlightenment. And Debs on Facebook told me exactly uh, the same thing. In Ethiopia... I drank camel's milk, and I think I mentioned this when I was mentioning the camel farm outside Uppington a few weeks ago. Camel's milk actually isn't bad at all. They just milked the camel, and it was in a big bowl. I don't know what the bowl was made of. There was an armed guard with the Kalashnikov uh, watching me, so I felt I had to drink it. But it was frothy and 
quite sweet and not unpleasant uh, at all. But when I, many moons ago, even further moons ago, newly married, I lived in a really, really remote part of eastern Nigeria, near Calabar, on the banks of the Cross River. There was no electricity, no running water, so buckets of brown river water were carried up from the Cross River every day, and my husband, my newborn baby, and I all survived, and we survived on boiled brown river water, touch wood with no ill effects. But once one of the buckets had a little tiny crocodile in it, a little tiny crocodile, whom I christened George. I thought, oh, I'll keep that. Kept him in the bucket for a while, and then he grew a bit big, and I put him in the bath. Then he began to get unmanageable. So I tipped him back into the Cross River. Well, he's probably still alive today. Crocodiles live to be very old, and he probably regales all his grandchildren, all the baby crocodiles at the time he lived in a tin bath in this strange house uh, near the Cross uh, River. So next time you travel, any time you travel, have a, have a go at the local tipple, alcohol or non alcoholic, I mean, but do avoid the chicha or the yak butter tea. And just some of the comments I got on Facebook about the worst drink ever, Anne told me she asked for a cup of English tea in McDonald's and got black tea with cappuccino foam. Caroline said Retsina tastes like turpentine. It's a Greek wine. I think it's thousands of years old. It's vile, I think. I need, Uzi, I need your help on this. Sorry, told me. Um, kombuti. I don't know where the click goes. Um, kombuti. Thank you. Thank you, Uzi. Uh, Sorry said, as a child, she always was given by her nanny this to drink. And in fact, she got quite to got quite to like it, and apparently it's very healthy. Christine said root beer in the USA, dreadful. Michelle said she had a wheatgrass shot, which was absolutely awful, but very healthy. Tiffany and Janine both said ayahuasca, that psychedelic drug that is a sacred medicine in Peru. I'll tell you about my trip there uh, one day. Andre told me fermented mare's milk high in Kristan in the mountains. Paul said Slivovitz. Patrick, I love this, said, don't ever drink Paraguayan wine, indistinguishable from industrial vinegar. And so you all came in. Durian in Bangkok said so. Helen said tequila, which quite surprised me. And my friend Coral always says that the tea I drink, uh, which is a cup of hot water with a tea bag just dipped in and out, is the worst drink anybody can possibly have. After the break, we're going to be talking to probably one of the biggest stars of our South African musical theatre. He's just finished a dazzling, fully sold-out show at Monte Casino here in Johannesburg with absolutely rave reviews and standing ovations, and he's coming to Cape Town. So get your tickets now for Jonathan Rocksmith 
in key change from the highest mountains to the bluest seas the driest deserts to the icy poles kate turkington has traveled there and now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio travels with kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of cape union mart kindle your spirit of adventure the adventure starts here only on 101.9 high fm Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart. The adventure starts here. Hi FM, one at 1.9. Time now to talk to one of South Africa's most dazzling and beloved stars of musical theatre. And when I say dazzling and beloved, I don't use those terms unwisely. I don't know if you try to get a ticket for Jonathan's show that has just uh, finished at Monte Casino, a key change, but she probably didn't because she's played to sold-out houses and standing ovations every single matinee and every single night. I think, Jonathan, to say you really are one of the most beloved and dazzling stars of South African musical theatre isn't overrating it. You you, you really are. But I want to know, I know because I've been a groupie of you since you were 19 years old, how did it all start, Jonathan? Well, I, I, I don't know so much dazzling as affordable, and you can ask Peter Turin, he'll agree. <laughs> but I, I had one of those um, fairy tale starts, quite frankly, where I was still at Northcliffe High School, and the Barnyard Theatre were looking for age-appropriate characters in Greece the musical. They didn't want 45-year-old Dannys and Sandys having hot flashes. So I went along to the audition, and my first ever agent, and I, I don't know where he is today, but I, I send him my absolute best, was Kevin Feather. You know, audiences will remember Kevin Feather from the Joburg Follies days. And we walked into the audition room, and the director was a, a man by the name of Ian Von Memerty. Oh. And I was in the right place at the right time with the right people because I went on to have a wonderful working relationship with Ian because Ian directed Greece, and then we did a show called Rock Me Amadeus. And the way he tells the story, I walked up to him during rehearsals of Rock Me Amadeus and said, why don't you put me in a handful of keys? Uh, I remember the other way around where Ian came to me and said, why don't we put you in a handful of keys? So we both have that story about each other, but it's irrelevant because either way, I went into a handful of keys, and after that, there was an audition for a musical called Beauty and the Beast, and I just knew that I had to play the role of Gaston. And it was into that rehearsal room that I walked and met Peter Turin and Hazel Feldman. And that was that. I was off and running with the absolute best in the business at the right time with the right show. And from there to here, yes, I was 19. You know, I was the youngest Gaston they'd ever had. And from there to here, I've I've had the most exceptional. I, I found that the harder I've worked, the luckier I've got. And I've had the most exceptional luck meeting the most amazing people on the most amazing projects all over the world and still continue to do so. 
Jonathan, tell me about the piano playing, because, I mean, you act, you sing, you sing like an angel. Your piano playing, I mean, you are a virtuoso. How did it happen? Did your mum say to you when you little, you got to blow the piano? How did that, how did that piano no. playing happen? I don't come from a, a theatrical or dramatic or music. Well, I come from a dramatic family, but not on the stage. <laughs> but there's no music in my blood at all. And... The only person who showed an interest in music really was my grandfather because he used to listen to a, a wide variety of music, everything from Maria Callas all the way through to rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And he, he always wanted a pianist in the family. And the way they tell the story is I hated going to school and I had a toy red piano that they would put on the back seat of the car in order to get me into the car. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I've had a fascination with the instrument from an early age. I mean, my, my earliest memory cognitive was um, I used to go to my mom's friend's house who had an upright piano, and I would just sit and try and work tunes out. I mean, I was probably around five. Yeah. And I've, I've basically – nothing's really changed. Kate. I'm still following the piano, whether it's onto a car, backseat, or around the world. You know, it's, it's something that's always been in me, I think. I was fascinated with the instrument, and I just wanted to get to know it better. And, and I, I mean, still am. You're, I, I you're would just one of the – you're one of the I have few, a lot of spare time. Sorry, you're one of the few people in the world that's been given this amazing grand piano. Tell us about that. Yes, I have this beautiful uh, white Yamaha grand piano in my house that was uh, given to me by uh, a really, really wonderful friend. Um, I don't know if she wants me to tell people about it, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Carolyn Stain called me up for my birthday last year and said, Darling, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Um, I'd like you to go to uh, this uh, shop and, and, and choose something for yourself. Now, Carolyn is extraordinary, you know, extraordinarily generous, but I didn't realize that she sent me to a piano shop. And uh, I have this magnificent white grand piano that every time I look at it, I've actually called it Carolyn hilariously because you should always give your piano a name. Um, and whilst it's not Joanna, the piano, it's, it's Carolyn the Grand, which I think is quite fitting. Oh, and so suitable for her too. And I've, I've got Absolutely. to ask, because when I tell people, you know what an enormous following you've got in South Africa and elsewhere. We'll come to that in a moment. But when I was telling friends and other groupies, they all said to me, you've got to ask Jonathan his favorite role. Is it the Phantom? Because you have played the lead in Phantom of the Opera all over the world. But I've been charged to ask what is what <laughs> will be your favorite role? Well, I think it's, it's all got to do with the wording. And I think I would say that my favorite role that has already been written will always be the Phantom. The Phantom came along at a time in my life where I didn't realize it, but I had a lot to offer in terms of um, a story point of view, because that character is very close to the mark with me personally in my life. But I would say that my favorite role perhaps is one that hasn't been written yet. I'd like to think that out there there's a composer who will cross my path at some point and they'll say, you're the person we've been waiting for, and they'll write me a show because one of my greatest life's ambitions is to be like Dr. John Carney, is to win a Tony Award. And you can only win a Tony Award for roles that are new. 
Now, Jonathan, so many people have asked me, your fans, friends, family, they all want to know, and they've tasked me to ask you this, what is your favourite role? Is it The Phantom? Because you've been successful globally with The Phantom. But I want to know from you, what is your favourite role? You know, I think it comes down to the wording of the question, Kate. I think my favourite role that is already in existence will always be the phantom. It came about at a time of my life when I I had a really particular story to tell and it was very close to what I'd gone through in my life. So it was perfect for me at that point. But overall, I, I'd like to think that, you know, my favorite role um, hasn't been written yet because anybody in the musical theater dreams of having the opportunity to originate a role. And, you know, in places like New York, you get that all the time. And I, I would like to think that there's a composer or a composing team out there that will come across me at some point and they'll say, you're the one we've been waiting for. This is perfect for you. And they'll write me a role that only I can play. And, you know, on a slightly more selfish note, it also would help me achieve another goal, and that is to join Dr. John Carney in being a South African with a Tony Award. Because you can only win a Tony Award for a brand new show. You can't win a Tony Award award for something that's already been done because Michael Crawford already won the Tony for Phantom yes. so that's out unless they bring a revival of Phantom back so somebody out there hopefully listening is going to write you another role of your lifetime but tell us about playing the Phantom particularly in Asia Southeast Asia you had such a huge fan base there tell, tell us about your experiences there well, I, I don't know that it's so much me as the role, because the Phantom of the Opera is the construction of the show, the grandeur. So being able to play the Phantom in Asia is a gift in itself. Uh, but I tell you what was even more special than playing the Phantom in Asia was playing the Phantom in Asia during COVID, okay. because we got to, uh, we left South Africa for South Korea on the 7th of March, 2020. And we landed in Korea, in Seoul, to be more specific. And the entire production team was there waiting for us, which is very rare. You know, the producers just let the show go along. And, but they were all there to show, you know, solidarity. Mm. And they said, look, there's this thing called COVID. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to last. But if you're willing to stay here until we have to send you home, let's see how long we can ride this out. And we all agreed. And what happened is, Kate, we ran for almost eight months in sure. South Korea. Sure. As the only musical in the world, because up to that point, South Korea had managed to get their numbers under control, and we ran to full capacity theaters. We finished that run in September or October, and then we went off to Taiwan, and after 14 days quarantine, get this, we played a stadium, a 9,000-seat stadium, the Taipei Arena, for three weeks. 100% sold out because they hadn't had a local case in 250 odd days. So we really were, you know, in the, again, the right place at the right time with the right people. And, you know, it wasn't lost on me that I was playing the role of a man who tended to keep away from large groups of people, hide away in sort of, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> solitude, <laughs> wearing a mask. It was, it was too, it was too good to, 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 that's almost surreal. You know, to write. It was just amazing. So you've just finished this 
brilliant, brilliant run, key change, at Monte Casino, as I say, yes. playing to sold-out houses, playing to standing ovations every single time. You must be exhausted, Jonathan. So, so what are you going to do now? You know, the term exhausted is so difficult because it, I find it invigorating. You know, a full yes. theatre with people on their feet screaming and shouting is, is better than vitamins for me, quite frankly. Uh, yes. But I will say my, my, my body is tired. It, yes. I, I did not anticipate what a physical undertaking, you know, playing the piano for two hours, you know, and, and not just normal music, really demanding stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm actually just taking it easy this week because uh, uh, on Monday I head through to Cape Town to begin the run down there. Um, but I've already had uh, plans made. It looks like we will come back for a return season of oh, Key Change right. for Johannesburg in October. Great. Uh, you know, so often these shows say by public demand. It's not by public demand. It's just we want to try it again. This time around, this is legitimate dinkum public demand where even up until seven o'clock at night at the theater, the box office is still receiving calls, people saying, are there any cancellations tonight? Please bring the show back. We need to see it. So, so we're actually doing that. And it's, it's, it's the most amazing artists were worried the theatre would be dead after COVID. And in South Africa, that's not the case. And we have such wonderful impresarios and people in the theatre who make things happen. Exactly. We have such a vibrant theatrical scene. Can I ask you what your worst stage experience ever was? Maybe it's when you were at school, maybe it was Handful of Keys, that mesmerising show. I think I saw that two or three times with the infamity. Can you remember yeah. your worst moment on stage? I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say it's my worst time, but it, I'd say that the show that I, I fitted into the very least was probably the Buddy Holly story. I was not a guitarist. I'd learned the guitar for the show, but I always felt like a square peg in a round hole. And if only Buddy Holly was a pianist. I mean, with that said, I'm actually looking forward to seeing the Buddy Holly story at the Teatro very soon, Peter Turin's production, because uh, I'm curious to see how much of it I still remember. But what I what I certainly learned on that show um, was to just stick with it and have faith in the material and, you know, rely on your cast around you. This is just a very personal question. For a while in my check past, I worked at a PBS television station in America that did Austin City Limits, the absolute country western show. I met everybody from Dolly Parton to Willie Nelson to Chris Christopherson, who is drop-dead gorgeous, I may tell you. Are Uh, you a fan? I'm just interested. Are you a fan of country western? My father was a was a huge country and western fan. Everything from the music to the movies, you know. Yes. He was a huge John Wayne fan himself. Uh, he had a huge crush on Dolly Parton. <laughs> loved Willie Nelson. Um, and you know, you know, he that whole sort of I think you know you, you broaden it even further. You know, rockabilly in general was the Grand Old Opry. Yes. That whole world. Yes. I remember it very very well. You know, we used to watch the TV specials um, on a Saturday. Yeah. We'd also watch you know the South African equivalent of that I suppose is the Buddha Orkes with yes. the accordions and everything. Th- that's a huge part of my childhood. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I remember it all. Yeah, I've got a very soft spot for it. Now, coming to travel, I've got to ask you, you're very well travelled. Do you have a favourite travel destination? You know, Kate, I've I've got a love affair with Paris at the moment. Have you? 
Hugely so. And not just Paris, but I'd say France in general. I've done the, the south of France, I've done the countryside, I've done Provence. Uh, just so beautiful. And I'm actually, I, I leave South Africa again on the, uh, let me think about this, the 11th of April to do Egypt, uh, oh. Israel, and Greece. Yo. So I'm also going to go to Petra, which oh, I've always wanted to go to. You know, went, again. I went just before lockdown, Jonathan, to Petra. Oh, wow. And, and you, you see, I mean, that? I've got such a soft spot yeah. for Petra because of the Indiana Jones movies. Yes. And you, you know, know what? Ex- so many of these great iconic places, sometimes, just sometimes, they disappoint a tiny bit. But when you walk oh, through that be. rock tunnel to Petra, you will have your breath taken away. It is wonderful. I cannot wait. And I what show wait. are you doing in Israel and Egypt? Well, I'm going to be going back onto Seaborne Cruises for a short while. Yes. And I do, I do a, a, a musical theater show called Showstoppers, which I did during yes. lockdown. Yes, yes. Um, I also do my Billy Joel show, Piano State of Mind, as well oh, as my correct. Elton John show, your songs. So, yeah, a nice, nice mixed bag. And coming back to, uh, so Paris is number one. Do you have a worst? We did a show last week or the week before where I asked people about their anti-bucket list. Where would you never, ever go back to? Is there a, I, I have Burkina Faso is mine. Shame, but I wouldn't go back there. Right. Do you have a anti-bucket list somewhere you'd never go back to? Goodness me. See, I have to be so careful now because I don't want to get people emailing me and telling me that I'm awful. Um, I I tell you where where it didn't really work for me was Cambodia. Yes. I found that very, very difficult. Um, But uh, I I think overall, I I wasn't too enamored with um, certain parts of Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. That was very difficult to navigate. Yes. Uh, purely because they didn't seem happy to see me, so that was tricky. But for the most part, <laughs> I was there with Phantom, and we saw lovely parts of it, so I have to qualify oh, it with that. Well. It, it, it's a difficult question, that. And now, you say, I asked you about a favorite role, and you said one of your ambitions is, hope, you know, one day, and I'm sure there will one day somebody will write a, a show for you. Who do you admire most in the musical world, Jonathan? You know, at the moment, there are so many different figures, but, you know, the, the musical theater world is becoming so politicized with yes. people wanting to oh. show what good people they are. Yes. So I would say my heroes in the musical theater world are the ones who were told they wouldn't make it and ended up standing, you know, with an Olivier or a Tony Award or yeah. a show on Broadway. And, you know, closer to home, I'd say my biggest hero at the moment in the world of musical theater internationally is our very own Amra Faye Wright. Yes. who is still, you know, knocking them out of the out of the ballpark with her performance as Velma Kelly in Chicago. She's she's a, a Chicago legend in New York City and she is still doing it post lockdown. Yeah. And you know, it still streaks ahead of anybody who's ever played that role. Aside maybe from Bibi Newworth and Cheetah Rivera, but you know, aside from everything else, Kate, you know, Amra Faye has taught me that um, there's still room to be a decent human being in the business and that's the biggest lesson that i've learned because it's easy to let it consume you and you become quite jaded or bitter um but she just she's just she's still one of our 
best exports, a lovely human being and so generous. She she joined the show when we were doing it in New Zealand for about a week and then she did it in South Africa. And she was so generous to her fellow South Africans. There was none of that. Oh, well, I've made it in New York, mm-hmm. so learn from me. Mm-hmm. She is mm-hmm. just a class act through and through. But I, I have found that, you know, I really, over the years, I must have interviewed thousands of people, and I've always found the people at the very top, the very top, are charming. They, they've made it, they're confident, they're comfortable with themselves. It's the people yeah. clawing their way up, or the people slipping on their way down who throw their weight about. They, Interesting. The top stars I actually shared a dressing room with Dolly Parton during Austin's City Limits, and she took Goodness her me. she took her weeks off. She was the loveliest human being, and she had like this bum fluff for hair. She was like a newly hatched little chick, lovely, lovely uh, person. So Goodness. you're off now to when do you actually leave South African shores? You said April. I leave on the on on the tenth. Yeah, uh, I'll be off to Egypt then, and um, then I go on to the cruises after that. Then yeah. I'll be back for a while. Then I'm going to spend a, a good amount of time in New York City in May. Yes. And then, who knows after that? I've got a few other cruises later this year. I've, I've got Canada that I'm going to go back to. I've got uh, the Caribbean. I've got a lovely cruise. I'm doing the Suez Canal as well. Yeah. So, lots to look forward to. And and your show in Cape Town, when does that open now? Ah, we start on the 15th of, so that's next week. The well, 15th of March until the 8th of April. Where? That's at Theatre on the Bay in Camps Bay. Well... Anybody listening, let me tell you, get your tickets now, because once Jonathan gets down there, even now, it may be difficult, but get your get <laughs> your tickets now, because you're going to see just the most marvellous piece of musical theatre. Jonathan, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank I you, know how, It's lovely to talk to I you I know again. how busy you are, and bon voyage. And go Thank well. you so much. From the highest mountains to the bluest seas, the driest deserts to the icy poles, Kate Turkington has traveled there. And now she's inviting you to travel with her through your radio. Travels with Kate is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Cape Union Mart. Kindle your spirit of adventure. The adventure starts here. Only on 101.9 High FM. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart. The adventure starts here. 101.9, 101.9, Hi FM, Kate Turkington. Now's the time on the program where we talk books. Books, as I say, that you can do when you're armchair traveling. Books when you're traveling anywhere. Books when you're not traveling anywhere, but you would like to be traveling. And a book really everybody should read is a book called The Good Life and How to Live It. Lessons from the World's Longest Study on Happiness. It's by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz, and it's published by 
rider. Now that sounds an awful mouthful of a, a, a title and don't let it put you off. These two authors have given the, one of the top ten TED Talks of all time, The Good Life and How to Live It. And they start the book in this way. Listen to this carefully. Let's begin with a question. If you had to make one life choice right now to set yourself on the path to future health and happiness, what would it be? Think about that. If you had to make one life choice right now, this very moment, to set yourself on the path to future health and happiness, what would it be? And they go and say, would you choose to put more money into savings each month to change careers? Would you decide to travel more? What single choice could best ensure that when you reach your final days and look back, you'll feel that you've lived a good life? Now, this book is the result of a very, very long Harvard study, the Harvard study of adult development. It's been going on for 80 years and is still ongoing and it looks as if there is no end to it. And basically it asks what makes people happy? What is the secret of happiness? And I'm just going to read another uh, piece here. This study is built on a bedrock of scientific research, but it also uses ancient wisdom, it uses anecdotes, it uses case studies. So it's a pretty full, rounded understanding of what makes people happy. And this study, as I say, the Harvard study of adult development was an extraordinary scientific Endeavor. It began in 1938 and against all odds is still going strong. And the study set out to understand human health by investigating not what made people sick, but what made them thrive. And he goes on, both of them go on to say, no single study, no matter how rich, is enough to permit broad claims about human life. So they've said in this book they're supported on all sides by hundreds of other scientific studies, also threaded with wisdom from the recent and ancient past, enduring ideas that mirror and enrich modern scientific understandings of human experience. And do you know what the answer is? Do you know what the answer is? The answer is positive relationships. Forget money. Forget that new car. Forget whatever. Positive relationships are essential to human well-being. So you need friends. You need family. You need colleagues. You don't have to have hundreds and hundreds of them, but you have to have good, positive friendships, family 
colleagues, and they do say, and I've done this in my own life, if you have energy vampires, you know those people who are always moaning and groaning and trying to pull you down, and you sit with them for a while, and you feel exhausted afterwards because they've sucked all your positive energy out of you, get rid of them. Actually get rid of them out of your life. There's an old Turkish proverb they quote, no road is long with good company. Now this is an interesting point they've come up with. Despite the perception that old people are grumpy and cantankerous, in fact, older people, old people are the happiest of all. Human beings are never so happy as in the late years of their lives. And they explain it by saying, we get better because they're not young. We get better at maximizing highs and minimizing lows. We feel less hassled by the little things that go wrong. And we are better at knowing when something is important and when it's not. And the value of positive experiences far outweighs the cost of negative experiences. And we prioritize things that bring us joy. In short, he says, older people are emotionally wiser and that wisdom helps us thrive. But, of course, there are still things to learn and you have to keep uh, on learning. Then they have, they have chapters on everything from family matters. I once said on air, uh, I have the usual functional, dysfunctional family. And so many people called in and said, have you got a dysfunctional family? I said, of course I've got a dysfunctional family. We all have. Do you know anybody who has a fully functional family? Uh, I doubt it. So there are chapters on family matters. There's chapters on people who are beside you, attention to relationships. But I was particularly interested, because I'm interested in the whole social media thing, they have a very, very good chapter on social media. What is social media doing to us? They say, on the positive side, when social media is used to sustain relationships with friends and families, then that's very good because it can enhance feelings of connectedness and belonging. I mean, you all know there's people you may have lost touch with, friends you've lost touch with, you can reconnect so quickly through uh, social media. And if you are alone or if you've got an illness or for any reason you're stuck in your house or stuck with your own company, social media is an enormous help. But then they go on to, to say there are important questions to ask and the answers may have implications for our personal well-being and for society. Among the most urgent, and there are lots of studies going on now, how these online spaces affect the way children and adolescents develop. Haven't you all, whether it's colleagues, friends, grandchildren, children, why are you sitting on your phone? You're not listening to me. You're on your tablet again. I'm talking to you. Why aren't you listening to me? Or you go into the 
a room and there they are with their headphones on, totally immersed in the world of social media. It's a good place, it's a good space, but it's got to be used, as they say, very wisely. And it's a rich and developing area of research. So don't scroll, they say. I mean, scroll, of course, we all scroll. Don't scroll, but engage. But I want to leave you with the... uh, The back of the book is packed with the references of the scientific studies, the whole bibliography and the scientific articles and the case studies and the uh, notes. But they, they finish... I just want to find where this is. Just put markers in my book here. Think about... Okay. Sit quietly and concentrate. How do you move further along on your own path towards a good life? First of all, you recognise that the good life is not a destination. It's what you're doing now. It's the path itself and the people who are walking with you. And as you walk, they say, second by second, you can decide to whom and to what you give your attention. You can prioritise relationships. You can choose to be with the people who matter. It's a good foundation for a good life. And then this is a suggestion they end the book with, and I love this. Think about someone, just one person who is important to you, someone who may not know how much they really mean to you. It could be your spouse, your partner, a friend, a co-worker, a sibling, a parent, a child, or even a coach or, or, or a teacher. This person could be sitting beside you as you read or listen to this book. They could be standing over the sink washing dishes. They could be anywhere. Where would you be without them? Think about what they mean to you and what they've done for you in your life. Where would you be without them? Who would you be? Now think about what you would thank them for if you thought you would never see them again. Think of that person. Think about what you would thank them for if you thought you would never see them again. And at this moment, right now, turn to them. Call them. Tell them. Adventure. It's not some rare gene inherited by a few people. It's that human instinct to escape, explore, and discover new places and experience new things. That's why at Cape Union Mart, we strive to awaken this adventurous spirit. Because the best gifts are not things, but moments you create with people who matter. Every adventure starts with Cape Union Mart, with gifts like Salomon, the North Face, and K-Way Adventure Gear. Cape Union Mart, the adventure starts here.